Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the view from the opposition. And this week it comes from Dan Murphy from the Manchester Evening News to provide the insight into Manchester United ahead of the Carabao Cup final on Sunday. Dan, thank you very much for popping up the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, thank you for having me. Excited. It's, uh, it's been an exciting week of footy and I think Sunday's it's primed to be a really good one. Yes, fingers crossed it will be. And you, you say there it's been an exciting week of football. Of course, Manchester United played Barcelona on mm. Thursday. They won 2-1 on the night and into the next round. I mean, the first question off, do you think they'll be tired? Because the turnaround's quite quick. You know, it's only a matter of days. Mm. Um, or will they be on a buzz? The adrenaline will be going because they, they beat arguably one of the best teams in Europe and I'll do it the next round. Yeah, it, it's it's a difficult one. Thursday to Sunday is a tough kind of turnaround, but United have been used to it this season. They did it last week and uh, um, did all right at the weekend after playing at the last Barcelona game. They beat Leicester uh, 3-0 um, and that Barcelona game, if anything, you know, the away match to to the new camp and it was, if anything it might have been an even more um, more intense game given the uh, the turnarounds in that match which were there was one more in that compared to compared to last night on Thursday but as I was watching it and you know United went behind and it looked like they were I was thinking like oh, they do lose this this could be the blow it's almost as if if you lose it here does your head kind of fall you know such a big match ahead of an even bigger one on Sunday but you know contrastly to get the win such a massive boost, I'd say. Such a, you, you, I'm sure you've seen it. Like you've seen the, the reactions at full time. There is the just that kind of that that sense of unstoppable momentum growing at United, and I imagine that they'll all be on cloud, cloud nine going into Sunday. And I think I say if they had lost, I, I think yeah, the, the, that may well have been a good point. They could have been dejected going into the game, but having won, I don't think they'll be feeling tired at all. I think they'll just be absolutely buzzing for for the final. Of course, there are some concerns, at least from the um, outside looking in, about Marcus Rashford. Lots of national reports about cryptic messages and, and what have you did go off. Um, what are we thinking for Sunday? Is he going to be fit? Is he going to be there for Manchester United? Yeah, it does seem a strange one because, like, I actually missed this last night. I wasn't actually on duty last night on the game. I was just kind of watching it in the pub with a quiz going on at the same time. So it was kind of hard to quite uh, work out what was going on. I'm not exactly the most professional from it, but I've seen this. You know, there's been no comments from Ten Hag or Rashford in actually saying if there's anything up with him. I imagine we'll hear more today um, from his press conference, which is uh, this afternoon. So we might get a clearer picture then. But you know, it was a bit worrying his Instagram post, wasn't it? Kind of the boot off, um, walking down the kind of towards the tunnel while the match is still going on, um, or at least it's coming towards the end. With look of it, um, with the kind of injured emoji, doesn't look the best on that. No, but I do imagine Rashford would do absolutely everything in his powers to play in that you know he's a United fan he's in the form of his life at the moment I don't it'd have to be something extremely extremely serious I'd wager for him to miss out on Sunday it's the sort of game where you know you have your pain killing injections you strap up your ankle you kind of do all you can to get into the match and I'd you guys say unless his foot's hanging on by an absolute thread I'd be shocked if he isn't uh, in that team on Sunday or at least at the very least on the bench because United they're, they're they're doing a bit better now. Now Sancho's back, but they haven't got the most attacking options in the world. And if you look at the team, I know Anthony scored and Fred's got another one on Thursday, but they don't have. When Rashford's not there, there isn't a great source of goals. I think Fernandez is the next high scorer with about six or seven. It is now around that mark, so it'd be a big loss, almost as big as obviously kind of Pope being out for Newcastle. It'd be quite an interesting one if both the you know two most important players are out. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nick Pope, obviously, huge loss for Newcastle, and it'll be Luis Carrius, we think, in goal. So there's a headline to be to be made there. Just on Rashford, I've we, we've had a whole week of podcasts this week building up to this game, and I, I've been asking, um, you know, our guests how they think Newcastle can stop Marcus Rashford. The consensus seems to be that they need to pray and hope the man above is listening. Um, is that your advice? Because he, like you say, he's he's, he's in the form of his life. He seems unstoppable. Yeah, he does. I mean, he didn't score against Barcelona, but there was moments in that game where he was just tearing that defence apart. I think there was one moment just towards the kind of left-hand side of Barcelona's kind of where they were standing. He just had the ball and it was like, he, I think, who was Balde was the left-back, wasn't he? And uh, Arojo could just not get the ball off him. He was going inside and out this way and that and then just recycling the ball. Like, even if he's, he's in the sort of form where even if he doesn't score... He's grabbing so much attention from defenders where he is freeing up space for others. And as I say there, the other players aren't exactly scoring a great amount, but they have enough quality when everyone's fit and everyone's playing. You know, Anthony, as he did on Thursday, can pop up and score. Fernandez can get goals. Weghorst might be able to get one every now and then. He's only got one so far, one or two so far. He's not exactly um, the greatest striker in the world, but he's doing a job. If... You pay too much. It's that I think City always have the same thing at the minute. Where you know Erling Haaland, like he's the scary number nine. Everyone at the at least start of the season, at least everyone's paying him the attention. But you can't just focus on one man because there's so much kind of talent everywhere. But to actually stop Rashford, it's interesting. It'd be an interesting one to see where he does actually play. He's been better on the left, and but if you if he goes on the left against Newcastle, they're probably the best. You've probably got one of the best right backs there to actually deal with him in Trippier who's obviously very familiar with him with England squads and whatnot and a really good defender at, um, you know in his own right and you know you've got one of the have you Newcastle not the best defence in the league this season I mean you have kept it quiet once already you, you know you drew nil nil in the result early this season like if anyone can you know you seem pretty proud to do it but I would say I don't think you fit when you met in the league I don't know if Rashford was quite in the form he is now so maybe it is a different kettle of fish yeah, I think it is. You mentioned there the kind of the run of four Manchester United have been on. It's kind of switched around to probably where you know the other way around than it was back in that that, that fixture at Old Trafford in the league when Newcastle were in a really good run of form. Manchester United's not so much. It's been quite interesting to see the turnaround. Um, how will Manchester United set up then? I mean, the the, the centre striker is an interesting one as well, and it kind of plays into maybe where Marcus Rashford might or might not play. You know, if he does play on the left, like you say, it's probably Weghorst that then plays up top. But Manchester United don't look too much of a threat when he is when he is up top and, and starting. I'd wager just because you've got kind of good and big burly centre backs, you know, Sven Botman and the like, you know, tall, really good in the air, strong centre backs. Not to kind of say they're not good on the ball either, because I know they are, but you've got big centre backs. I'd wager Weghorst is probably going to start up front. He has been playing in more of a kind of attacking midfield role at points this year. So I can see just for Weghorst's height and, and his own strength, and that's not, it's not even his biggest strong points either. He's, you know, he's a big, he's a big striker, but he's far more, he's been far more useful for his uh, pressing and he's, uh, um, he's really good work off the ball, winning it back and quite a good link up play rather than just his, you know, winning high balls and whatnot. But I imagine, to kind of attract attention, as I was kind of just mentioning there, to attract attention from your kind of big and good centre-backs. I'd imagine he may play up front, but it'd be interesting. Then you'd imagine even Fernandez, but Sancho um, also came on in the kind of that attacking midfield role against Leicester, changed the game into United's favour with his introduction. Could see him playing there as well, but I do imagine, should he be fit, I'd wager Rashford on the left and then 
probably Anthony may have earned a start and then it'll be between Fernandez, well, Fernandez will start. Then it's going to be between Sancho and Anthony Edwager. But the, the good thing about United have got at the minute, no matter who does start out of, you know, Rashford, Fernandez, and probably Weghorst at the minute, are nailed on, regardless of where they do play in that attack. And then you've got one more position and whoever doesn't play, whoever doesn't start out of Anthony, Sancho and Alejandro Ganacho they can come on and make an impact just like they did against Barcelona. I think it was the introductions of Ganacho and Anthony that really did change the game for United uh, on Thursday night. So that means, because uh, I think one of the, the concerns Newcastle fans have is that left-back Dan Burns being absolutely fantastic, you know, loads of effort, commitment. He's a Newcastle United fan, so this is kind of the dream. But he is looking quite vulnerable at times, and if a pacey winger gets at him, then I think that might be Newcastle's you know weak link in the, in the defence. Um, so we're thinking either Sancho or Anthony up against Dan Byrne. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I know Byrne's been very, you know, very good. I know Newcastle's been good, but it does seem, and it isn't just Byrne, I don't think. It seems like the whole team is losing um, a bit of energy as the season's going on. I know you've obviously got obviously unlimited resources now, but you haven't exactly gone hell for leather in, in making the squad massive. I know you after you start in 11, you probably haven't got the best depth I'd say like after you get out of there you've got one or two players here and there because certainly do a job don't get me wrong but I don't think you're not exactly at City or even United's level where you've got two really really quality options for every position so I don't know if Burn. I imagine that there isn't really an option for Burn. should he not play like even to get a faster left back I don't know if there's anyone there's, who's there's, come there's in my, instead my target but he's been injured of late he's back in training um, and he's been training as normal it's just that match sharpness and, and also mm-hmm. whether whether Eddie Howe would, would, would dump Dan Byrne out of the, the squad. I mean, that would probably have a, a lasting <laughs> effect, you know, on, on a, especially on your Castle fan. Mm-hmm. But again, no room for sentiment, I guess, in these, these situations. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, I can't see Dan Byrne dropping out. Um, but that plays into the next question is we we expect, or well, I was I expect, and a lot of Newcastle fans expect that Alan St. Maximum will play um, ahead of Dan Byrne over on that left flank, which does leave Dan Byrne slightly exposed. But then if St. Maximum's on his day, he's, he's pretty much unplayable at times. How will Manchester United deal with St. Maximum if, if indeed he does start on Sunday? Well, it's quite interesting because United's right-back position was kind of one that in the summer uh, you'd you'd look at and think, oh, that really needs strengthening. They don't really have the best options there. I think before Ten Hag came in, Diogo Dallo was kind of earmarked to be sold. Wan-Bissaka certainly was after Ten Hag came in. He didn't really fancy him at all. In the summer, United tried bringing in Serginho Dest on loan and were looking at other options at right-back, but couldn't really do anything in that area, so Wan-Bissaka stayed. Dallo started the season, was given the chance by Ten Hag and was really, really good. Got injured at the World Cup and has been in and out of the team since, had some injury struggles, but in his absence, wan has come in and has been really good. He's looked like the, the player United first thought they got from Crystal Palace. Now, as everyone probably knows, wan is really quite good at one-on-one defending. He's probably still not the best positionally and can get caught out at the back post and that sort of thing when crosses come in on the opposite flank. But one-on-one, there probably isn't a better fullback at just kind of sticking to a winger, putting tackles in, winning the ball when it looks like the wingers kind of already beaten him than wan going. And that's probably the best. I'd imagine he will start, even though Dallow is fit and he is kind of on the bench and he's playing again. I think there's probably not a better, as I say, with Trippier at Rashford, you've got a great chance there. Wan-Bissaka on St. Maximum is quite an interesting one. Because as you say, St. Maximum, as we all know, so good on the ball, so exciting. But if there's one right back you choose to stick on him and 
probably doing a bit of a man-marking job to kind of get you the biggest threat. I know you've got quality elsewhere on the pitch as well, of course, but he is easy kind of talisman, isn't he? To have one man who you'd mark him out, and of course you've got Fred in there who can certainly do that job as well. I'd imagine, yeah, but Wan-Bissaka is the one to do it. But as I say earlier, you can't just focus on just one player, you know, you, the biggest one, I think. And Pablo, you know, I've seen a lot of weird um, debate over this rule about the suspensions carrying over from the league to the cup. And I think, you know, anyone suggesting to change the rules midway through a season is absolutely balmy. But you are probably, despite losing Pope, who is obviously such a massive loss, you are probably benefiting from it more than you are losing from it, just for the fact you've got Guimaraes back in, who is, I don't believe you've won without him all season, if I'm not mistaken. So to have him back is so important and for both ends of the pitch and he'll be another threat United will have to deal with, which makes me think Fred, after his man-of-the-match performance against Barcelona, will probably start ahead of uh, your Marcel Sabitza. Yeah, I mean, he is a massive, massive uh, plus to have back in the side. Newcastle maybe fortunate, fortunate that the rules were in their favour with that one after he got sent off, Bruno. Um, and it is the battle of the Brazilians, isn't it, in midfield? Because we've also got Joe Linton who... Just looks at he's just a totally different player to the one that we knew 18 months ago. And for me, he's going to be key on Sunday because he's an absolute powerhouse tank in the middle. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how both midfields match up because um, I think Joe Linton, from the point of the opposition and you know, team other teams, he goes he's underrated, he goes under the radar a little bit. But you know, Manchester United cannot underestimate just how big of a player Joe Linton will be on Sunday. And to put him back alongside uh, Bruno is going to be going to be massive for Newcastle. How do you see the midfield battle lining up? It's it's quite a bad um, oversight on my part for forgetting about Joe Linton because I think, yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. I remember actually, I think it was last season, it would have been now when he'd first kind of got moved to that midfield role. Um, it was a game against Manchester City, actually, and he it was the first time I think I'd watched him play in midfield, and it was against City, so, you know, De Bruyne and Rodri and Bernardo or Gundogan or whoever it was, you know, the best midfield, the midfield that's won four at the five last Premier League titles, and he was absolutely amazing. He just, like, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. Last time I watched him, he was a, a striker who couldn't hit a barn door, and now suddenly he's absolutely bossing this midfield, as you say, like an absolute powerhouse, just smashing around, endlessly running from one end to the other. I think he actually, if I'm not mistaken, actually missed a good chance because he kind of powered through, um, went one-on-one and did, did miss, which was kind of the old Joe Ellison coming through. But he was so, so smart how he kind of man-marked everyone and was just, the energy he brings to that Newcastle midfield was brilliant and, you know, it's fair play to Eddie Howe to spot that and has completely transformed his career. I say it's going to be some battle. Casemiro is absolutely excellent, probably the signing of the season in the Premier League I'd wager he's been astonishingly good kind of like Newcastle's kind of Guimaraes in that he's so important when he doesn't play the the stark and drop off in quality is so so obvious he's so important and they say Fred Fred's a weird one because he, he's so inconsistent he can play like he did against Barcelona where he's astonished like how he does it sometimes the contrast is so strange how he can be so sloppy and wasteful and just loses the ball all the time and plays United into danger in some games to then being so brilliant against Barcelona who kind of drives them on to win that match. I'd imagine he'd start and I should say it will be the battle of Brazilians but then Fernandes, so tenacious, can march all across the pitch and winning the ball. It's going to be it's going to be some battle and I think it'll depend on how Fred plays. If he's not playing at his best then Newcastle, there's a good chance United can get overrun because that happens a few times as against United are lucky that Casemiro is back as well. He had a free game ban that was finished against Leicester. So you, both teams will be going into this game with their best midfielders back. 
but you're seeing against Leicester in the first half, they got overrun massively by kind of Madison in that hole, really dictating the play. But now, as I say, now Casemiro's back, it could be it could be very interesting. He's the most important player for United, and he's back. Well, that's what I want to ask you just briefly about the defence. You know, we mentioned there the full-backs, but against Leicester, the, the argument should have been two goals down maybe in that first half against Barcelona. I know it's Barcelona, but David De Gea had to pull off a couple of great saves, and he nearly you know, messed up himself, which would be interesting for the pressing side of things, but Newcastle on quite pressing how they did earlier in the season. But are my United's defence vulnerable or as a whole, they're, they're, they're pretty tight? I mean, what happened against Leicester? Because clearly Ten Hag wasn't very happy at all with that first half performance. Um, in that first half, as I say, Casemiro wasn't on, so they've got completely kind of over on the midfield. Fred was having a bad game, at least in the first half. To be fair, everyone was having a bad game in that first half. And um, it was Fred and Sabitzer in the middle. I don't think they maybe they played together in the I think they did play together in those Leeds games, but again, they, they weren't exactly the um the best performances either. So it was, it, was a, it was a new kind of partnership that's not developing brilliantly just yet, but I say that undoubtedly won't be won't be this the midfield on Sunday and then I say they overrun and when you get overrun in midfield there's not a lot a defence can do and the defence against Leicester wasn't first choice either because Rafael Varane was rested with the obviously he's, he can't play three games in a week now he's he's not that old he's only 29 but he's obviously had his injury issues and Ten Hag's taken great lengths to kind of manage him correctly and not over overdo him and risk further injury which he hasn't I think he's had one this season compared to last season when he had I think he had like three within each game within two games of coming back he'd get injured again so he didn't manage so much better he'll come in again he was excellent against Barcelona he made that that block on the line late on which was brilliant it's you know when you're overrun there's not much the defense can do in of itself but the defenders individually as as a back four are really good now Shaw I say as I've touched on earlier the right backs still um, can be either or even though both are playing pretty well when they do play but the the main partnership of Martinez and Varane and then Shaw at left back who like Rashford is also hitting the form of his life once again and they are they are really quite strong in defence and it helps that De Gea for his faults and I think there are a few as you said he can't really pass out from the back um that pass in the, in the Barcelona game, which you referenced, wasn't to anyone whatsoever. There was just three Barcelona players in the direction he hit it. So that's obviously a worry. But when it does come to, uh, you know, remarkable saves and clawing them out and when United's backs are against the wall, which at one point it's going to be a final. Newcastle have been tied recently, but they're going to be up for this. Um, I don't think fatigue will be much of a factor in this match because they're going to, everyone's going to be so up for it. There's going to be points in this game. Newcastle are a good team. They've held United already. There's, there's going to be points when United's backs are against the wall. There's going to be chance, chances for Newcastle, and that's when De Gea will be called on to make those saves once again. A uh, couple of quick fire questions because I know you've got it. You've got to shoot off. First off, um, on Carrius, we've mentioned there he's likely to replace Nick Pope, of course, uh, played for Liverpool, great rivals of of Manchester United. Just your, your thoughts on that? I mean, from a Newcastle point of view, it's kind of typical Newcastle, but. Um, you know how how my United maybe looking at that is is maybe the main weakness because he hasn't played a competitive game of football in over two years. I know fans obviously think it's hilarious and it is to a certain extent, but it's so brutal. And it, it, I think Carrius is the most pertinent example of just how brutal football and sport can be. Literally one game in which he did suffer a concussion, which is often kind of you either just ignored or thought of as just an excuse. Klopp came out with he he got an absolute whack on the head. And he played on. He shouldn't have played on. That's football's one of football's biggest kind of bugbears. 
he made two horrible mistakes and his career was brutally changed forever and it's quite horrible in the same breath it's it's given him the opportunity where this could go one or two ways probably he's the story there for him to get his redemption isn't it his debut for Newcastle a final against you know the old rivals of thingy but also I can understand why Newcastle are worried it's not just that Carrius is in it's that Pope isn't in who's been so good obviously this season I think to have it it's not just Carrius is it I think it was any third choice goalkeeper you'd be equally as worried and it's just obviously quite cosmically ironic that it is Carrius given given his history but you know there's redemptions are there to be kind of earned aren't they it just it was very funny that he was like the ghost at the feast where he's suddenly back in the public consciousness for the first time in two years I don't think any, four four years I don't think anyone even knew he was at Newcastle and as soon as he's back in everyone's minds both Alisson and, and Thibaut Courtois in that very same fixture that it kind of changed his career forever go and make absolutely stupid mistakes so the omens don't look the best no, but fingers crossed from Newcastle's point of view, he can uh, prove everyone wrong. My United, will they have a lot of the ball? Will they try and control the ball or will they sit back and let Newcastle come onto them? What were you expecting? I think it'd be quite a kind of end-to-end game. I know the, the match at, uh, was it Old Trafford? Whichever it was, the nil-nil. Quite a dull one, wasn't it? I think I think Newcastle can... Did you not have some injuries in that match when they played or someone was unavailable? Yeah, and Newcastle, I think, Looking. hit the bar, didn't they? Joe Linton you did, Joe Linton hit the bar, didn't they? No, you had a full team I'm looking at, so I don't know where I pulled that from. But it, Oh, that was it. United had um, Ronaldo playing, who was obviously pretty rubbish at that point. So it was a pretty insipid game, if I recall that. There was the Joe Linton chance in the first half, the double, the double chance, didn't it? Which he should have scored. But other than that, it was a pretty non-eventful match. I expect a different one this time. I think both teams will be quite up for it, and I think both teams will go for it. Both teams now... Um, like attacking, I believe, and I, I, if there's one team that'll have the ascendancy, I imagine it will be kind of Manchester United. They are the ones that will have the confidence, are in a bit, a bit um, better form. Of course, Newcastle kind of holding on. You know, the wheels. Not, I would say the wheels aren't coming off, but they're certainly rattling a little bit. But you know, it's going to be a rammed Wembley. Both teams wanting to win trophies after long droughts. That Newcastle end, I imagine, is going to be absolutely raucous and going to be cheering them on. So I'm expecting quite a good... I'll be disappointed if it's not a good final, put it that way, because it should um, be. It should be, yeah. Penultimate question then. How significant is this for Eric Tanhagen for Manchester United? Because some of my United fans I've spoken to, I mean, one even said to me, I wouldn't mind Newcastle winning because of the story. And I'm sitting here thinking, what? Like, now I'm, not, I'm not saying that to every my United fan, so I'm coming to you as the expert. How significant is this? For Ten Hag and Manchester United. Yeah, I think you found the one, um, the one uh, not partisan United fan uh, going in there. But um, it's a weird. One. I, I think because it because of the nature of the Carabao Cup, I think it's quite an easy one to shake off as ah well if you don't win it. I don't think it's the sort of loss where it can like define you. Maybe it will be for Newcastle because obviously Newcastle, Newcastle are kind of in the City position where City were in 2011, three years after their takeover where. The FA Cup was the first trophy and the damn breaks. You've done it in, what, 18 months? So you're kind of ahead of City in that in that regard. So I imagine it'd be a bit more disappointing for Newcastle should they not win, especially since, what is it, 19 years since your last... No, 24 years since your last final, is it? Yeah, 99. And even longer, yeah, and even longer since um, a trophy. But for United, I imagine it, it could be one they could easily shake off should they lose. They should win, though, of course, given given Newcastle's team and the form they're in. But I think it's massive to win, if that makes sense, because... Um, Five and a half years now for United not winning the trophy, and Ten Hag has been hell bent 
on ending that from the very start of the season. Every game in these cups, you know, usually, especially a club of United's kind of stature, where the Carabao Cup shouldn't mean as much, usually it doesn't mean as much to some teams. You kind of look at Tottenham or Arsenal maybe in this season or Chelsea, who played City, unfortunately. But um, kind of not, you know, resting players, you know, playing the youth teams as, as teams I want to do. United haven't done that at all. Even against Charlton, who are a lowly mid-table League One side, they played pretty much a full strength 11, um, only bringing on the kind of the most promising kids, uh, Ganacho and Kobe Mainu, on in like the last the last five minutes from it. They've, apart from kind of playing Martin Dubravka, which has proved to be a masterstroke now in hindsight, he's played strong teams in every kind of FA Cup match, every League Cup match. He really wants a trophy and I think he's really got his heart set on winning this. I think it's a massive one beforehand. It'll be, it won't be seen as a, and it's not been seen all season, as a secondary trophy. And it's, it is massive to now because I think if you looked at, I always kind of compare it to kind of Tottenham where they were under Pochettino and they were doing so well. The progress was brilliant but they never got that trophy to really really kind of have a marker of all the success and the progress and the, at the time people say oh but what's more important winning one scrap of silver or consistently being the champions league but if you look back now for that amazing form they had and that amazing team and all that well they did they didn't have any they don't have anything to show for it now apart from some good memories whereas united have had ten hagen for six months the progress he's made has been remarkable and if you can win a trophy you get that monkey off the back within seven, eight months of being in charge, it sets them up. It already has an achievement to his name and then it sets them up um, to do even more going forward. You know, this season, they're the only team in Europe still competing for four trophies and we're at the end of February. And then uh, obviously beyond where next season, they'll probably want to be properly challenging for the title and not just on, on the edge of things like they are now. You said five and a half years there. Try 54 years <laughs> of hurt, Dan. 54 years since... Uh, oh, I, I've got well more hurt than that, mate. I don't support United. I've got what? much more hurt. Bolton Wanderers, mate. I, okay. I, I feel, okay. Yeah, I've, I've won the, the Hurt Sweepstakes now. <laughs> um, how do you see Sunday going then? Is this trophy coming home with Newcastle United or Manchester United? I think it's honestly one of those games that's quite hard to predict because I do think form will kind of, or at least Newcastle's bad form will go out the window because it's just going to be such a unique event. It's going to be, I can't I imagine the atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric. Um, I can't wait for the scenes on Saturday night of everyone in the fountain, which is undoubtedly going to happen, I imagine. Um, so the the fatigue Newcastle have been having of late, the lack of goals, I don't think that's going to count as much. But you can't, I don't think you can look past the goalkeeper situation. Not just because it is Carrius coming in, more because it is Pope being out. As I said, he's so integral to how you play. And United, you can't look past that. They've just beaten Barcelona who are eight points above Real Madrid in La Liga. And look what Real Madrid have just done to Liverpool not not three days ago. United are in a really great space. They've got pretty much everyone fit, I believe, apart from Christian Eriksen, of course. But he's he, the, his loss hasn't been felt too much due to due to the replacement. It could go either way. I, I don't want to just be, be on the fence just because I'm on the Newcastle podcast. I do think Newcastle have a good chance. But, but I do think it will be... United's this time, but obviously you, you you could happen, you know, anything could happen. Of course, that's the that's the joy of football. But I, I do see it going to Manchester this time. Fingers crossed, you're you're wrong, Dan. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for popping on. No, thank podcast. you for having me. Uh, to you guys listening, hit that subscribe button. And we'll be down in Wem uh, down at Wembley. We're heading down to London tomorrow, so we're bringing you loads of podcast content and video content over on our YouTube channel. Shout out to website and print. Uh, Gavin there has supplied us with, and everything is black and white. 
podcast flag. So that'll be coming down with you. And we can't wait to bring you all the coverage from the capital. Thanks to Dan again. This has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. <laughs>